All houses wherein men have lived and died are haunted houses. Through the open doors, the harmless phantoms on their errands glide with feet that make no sound upon the floors. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Greetings, creeps, and welcome to my podcast, This House is Haunted. Over the next several weeks, I'll be sharing not only my personal experience of having spent two years in a haunted house in eastern Kentucky, but also some creative storytelling about the ghosts and figures that I met there in the house to kind of bring them back to life. Due to the spooky nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised as I take you into a world filled with things that go bump in the night. The rain pummeled mercilessly against the two sisters as they moved as one towards the chittering, growing call of the thing in the mountain as it made its descent. The wind howled, seeming to push against them, but they persisted, calling on the strength of their ancestors and on the might of the mountain itself to aid them in their purpose. In response to their call, they felt the antlers they both carried hum and grow warm with power. They did not feel the cold of the rain or the ache of muscles not accustomed to struggling to remain balanced on the mud and rock they were now traversing. They did not slow when great branches were heaved from the very trees, great widow-makers that would have crushed them easily had they not stepped out of the way at precisely the right moment. They were in tune with this land and reacted instinctively and without hesitation to its call. As they drew closer to the sound of the thing in the mountain, they began seeing the stunned bodies of the crows that they had only recently discovered were aiding them. As they passed, they saw many of the birds revive and fly forward once more, as if renewed by the will of these two strong women who carried the very mountain's blessing. The lady reached her hand into her cloak and felt the many strands of sigils she and her sister had imbued with their will tucked safely into her pocket. They were getting dangerous close now, and the smell of rot and decay was heavy in the air in spite of the gale force winds. They could see great trees falling less than a quarter of a mile ahead of them, and could still hear the loud cries of the crows as they swarmed to slow the thing. The closer they got, tendrils of fear began to infiltrate the lady's mind. This was a great and terrible being that was possibly as old as this very mountain. How could she ever hope to stop it? How could two women stop a force that could harness the winds and invade dreams? Something that could move the rocks to crush, to take away the man she loved. Panic nearly gripped her, but her sister, ever vigilant, shouted against the wind, Lies, sister! It has been bound before, and it can be bound again. If this thing wasn't scared of you, it wouldn't bother with preying on your mind and would just pick you apart like last week's Sunday roast. No, it senses the blessing of the mountain. It sensed your power the day you first set foot on this land and has sought to run you off ever since. I see it all perfectly now. It wasn't your power it wanted to harness. It was your power it wanted to stop. You didn't let it when you lost him. And you sure ain't gonna let it now. The lady felt hot tears well up in her eyes and she nodded to her sister, 
whom she knew she could not face any of this without. Her sister pulled out the antler and nodded for the lady to do the same. We should be face to face with it once we crest the hill. She extended the antler towards the lady who pulled her own from the depths of her cloak and reached it to her sister's. As the two touched, a warmth overcame them and the smell of lilies replaced that of the dank decay. The lady smiled then, knowing that they were not just two facing an immeasurable evil, that they were surrounded by those that loved them beyond this life. As they reached the top of the hill, the lady looked to her left and saw the great stag standing on a nearby ridgeline, stock still until her gaze touched his, at which time he reared back, kicking his front legs forward and shaking his great head before turning and running down the ridge. They were not alone. They were never alone. A loud growling cry came from directly ahead of them, and the lady and her sister stopped suddenly, as the thing from the cave was only a few hundred feet away now. Its body was slick with the rain and the mud as it had made its descent. It moved as if boneless, sliding and writhing from one disjointed appendage to the next. The long, listless black hair seemed to be moving around its body to avoid becoming tangled. Its gaunt, eyeless face saw the women, and its jagged maw appeared to grin hungrily. The sisters took their twin antlers and drew a line in the dirt directly in front of them with it. As they did so, the thing in the mountain stopped its rolling descent and cried out loudly once again its mouth curling back to reveal a mouth with too many sharp and deadly-looking teeth. A forked tongue whipped out much like that of a snake, as if testing the air for something that posed a threat. The women kneeled to the line, and the lady placed the iron staff she had forged directly across it. The thing from the mountain, with its tongue still forking out, hissed as the iron was placed digging its taloned arms and legs into the mud and shaking its body violently. Two large evergreens suddenly fell with a great crash to either side of the women, but they did not cross the threshold they had created with the staff. An ugly bugger, ain't it? She heard her sister remark. Even in the face of imminent destruction, she had not lost her spirit. The lady, comforted by this sense of normalcy from her sister, said, just wait till you smell it up close. I've smelled outhouses with more of a pleasant aroma. Her sister, not missing a beat, produced four pieces of cotton from her cloak and handed two to the lady. Sometimes magic is in the simple measures, she said, stuffing one and then the other piece of cotton into her nostrils. The lady laughed, and with it the thing in the cave cried out loudly once again. She placed the cotton and then said, I don't think it likes your jokes. Her sister snorted. <laughs> I think it's just angry we aren't cowering in our boots. Bullies never like it when someone fights back. Suddenly, a crack of thunder sounded so loud that it shook the very earth they stood on and interrupted their sibling banter. The women, startled, gripped the antlers in their hands tightly. Lightning flashed blinding into two more trees that were mere feet ahead of where the thing in the cave stood, and they heard a gravelly, hollowed voice roll from its wide mouth. I am 
of great clouds colliding. I am the fire racing across the sky. I am older than all the race of men. I can smell Another growl echoed across the ridge, and the women stood still as the thing stood to its full height for the first time, and a sickly glowing green light seemed to emanate from its body now. sister stomped her foot. I reckon it's time you shushed with all that. If you were almighty, you would have never been stopped by a tangle of sigils in a cave with an open mouth. Nothing on this earth is all powerful, especially you. Be silent, thing. Her voice was strong and powerful as she spoke. The lady could see a glowing white light begin to emanate from her skin. The lady was startled until she remembered the stag in her dream and how it had glowed with the same eternal flame. The lady knelt, the antler still in her hand, and drew a sigil in the mud of the stag. The thing hissed and cried out into the darkness enveloping it, taking only one step forward before shrieking again, this time with rage. The thing shouted, will not last once I am rending the flesh from your bones. I will do so slowly and with much delight. The lady saw something moving behind the thing as it spoke, but could not determine what it was because of the rain flooding her eyes. Her sister laughed loudly. <laughs> Wrong again, buddy. Since you're poison... Take a gander at this. Here she pulled out a pouch that was tied around her neck. I got a satchel full of oleander that'll make sure you don't get to make a meal out of me. You get too close and I reckon I'll have me a little snack that bites back. The lady gasped and looked worryingly to her sister. She hadn't mentioned any such thing. This wasn't part of their plan. She spoke in low tones. You forgot to mention this last night, sister of mine. Her voice held the edge of both worry and fear. Her sister smiled at her and said, Just another insurance policy. I don't intend on kicking rocks to the pearly gates anytime soon, but I'll be damned if things go sideways and I turn into a meal for that thing. The lady, hands on her hips, extended her own hand outward. Her sister, not missing a beat, said, You sure? 
The lady, still holding out her hand, turned back to the thing which had bowed its head much like any predator who was preparing to attack would do. I'm sure. Her sister tossed a second satchel to her and the sickly sweet smell of the oleander tickled her senses. The wax-lined pouch would keep it from seeping through and touching her skin. Oleander was deadly even to touch. Where her sister had found some this time of the year, she did not know, but it was here nonetheless. That garden of hers in Tennessee must be something to behold. She would like to see it if they made it through this alive. The thing, sensing the exchange was not to its benefit, let out another shriek before barreling forwards to the women once more. Towering trees were toppled by it with one push from its taloned hand. The women, digging their feet into the earth, began to chant, As above, so below, help us ancestors to stop this foe. Give us power, aim that's true. Guide our hands, we beg of you. Let no evil cross this line. Iron that's forged and antler gifted from the divine. Maiden, mother, and the crone, help us to protect this home. As they finished their chant, both women were lifted slightly from the ground, the glowing white light now bursting forth from both of their skin. From their new higher vantage point, the lady noticed that the thing was less than a hundred feet away from them now, and its teeth, yellowed with decay, but still viciously sharp even from this distance, were dripping great long lines of spittle and blackened bile, giving it the appearance of blood dripping forth. The green light grew more vibrant, and the trees it touched not only fell, but shriveled and withered away. The earth it walked on appeared scorched and burnt, all grasses wilting and dying. It was poisoning the very ground it walked on. If it got past them, it would destroy the entire holler in one night. This she was certain. A flash came to the lady of the great village of Roanoke with its missing settlement. She imagined those same jagged teeth creeping quietly into each home, de devouring every person with the stealth of a jungle cat and then slipping quietly away to roam the mountains once more until, until it crossed the shaman who had placed it into the earth. If they didn't stop it, this town would be erased. She gripped her antler tightly, pointing it directly at the thing, and shouted, STOP! With great power, her own fury rising. She would not let it go any further. The thing continued to move for a few steps, either not hearing her or not caring, until a large group of white deer burst from the tree line and directly into the side of the thing. It appeared shocked by this assault and attempted to sidestep to no avail. Several great antlers pierced its flesh, pushing it into the earth. The lady, fearing that they would be injured by its poison, focused her will and called them away from the thing that was now howling in pain. There was one stag who stood in the tree line that had no horns, and she nodded to him, realizing it was he that had been standing behind the thing. There was no time to offer thanks as the thing, oozing black bile from its wounds, attempted to stand, its breath coming in great wheezes, as if a lung had been pierced. No mortal weapons can stop me, she humans! Here it coughed and seemed alarmed that more bile was running past its ruined, slashed lips. 
Those aren't human weapons things. They are protectors born of this mountain, of the very earth, and they would not see you do harm to this town any more than I would. The lady spoke with conviction and no little anger. You take life that isn't yours. You corrupt and leave misery in your wake. But no longer thing. You will not leave this mountain come hell and high water. Here she looked upward and called. We need your wings, friends. We need your eyes. The thing did not look up and continued to push its body up from the earth, twisting and snarling, the black bile leaving great streaks down the length of its nearly seven feet tall body. As it did so, a great black cloud formed overhead and began to lower to the lady and her sister. The lady pulled the strand of sigils from her cloak and tossed one into her sister who caught it, and seeing what she was doing, reeling back, helping to unfurl it further. Several crows dipped low to the sisters and reached for lines in their taloned feet, which they pulled taunt across the sky, until both sisters released the great net that had been fashioned by the birds. It glowed with the same ethereal light that had shone around the women and hummed with the power of memory and recollection. The thing, looking upwards now, screwed its face up in rage and screamed out, You will not bind me! And as it howled, a great wind knocked several of the birds off course, falling towards the ground. The sisters pushed their wheel, and the birds' fall was slowed until they were lowered peacefully to the ground. The sisters, seeing a gap in the net, wheeled themselves upwards and took the place of the fallen birds, and they made their way toward the ruined thing from the cave. Looking towards them, without eyes, it cried out once more before leaping towards them, its great claws reaching out and swiping at the lady. It came so close that she could see the very follicles of its withered skin that appeared much like that of an alligator she had once seen in a zoo while living in Georgia. As it fell back to the earth, the birds and the women dropped the net upon it and smelled something that reminded them of burning oil. Plumes of smoke rose up from the thing, and it cried out in pain and anger just below them. The birds wrapped the bindings tighter, and the smell of burning intensified. Its once deafening shrieks turned into simpering whimpers, and the women lowered slowly back to the earth until they were several yards away. The sigils on the flags were growing in white light, and the thing from the cave appeared to shriek. As it did so, amidst its tortured writhing, the thing emitted a low laugh. It took a great shuddering breath. It laughed again and pointed one taloned hand to the lady. Say the same things to the lady, confused by this gesture, looked down to find the satchel her sister had given her of the oleander had been sliced, and a trickle of blood was trailing down her chest where a great scratch had been rendered. The black bile that was seeping from the thing in the cave was also mixed with her own blood, and at this sight she faltered and fell to the earth. Her sister, alarmed, dashed to her side. Sister, what is it? What is... 
Here she stopped. She could see the lady's blouse was ripped, and the satchel, with its poisoned petals, had been rent into her flesh by the creature's claws. It continued to laugh as the lady's vision became blurry. Tears were falling down her sister's face, and she went to lift her own satchel now, and the lady stopped her. No, it will not win by taking you too, sister. The smell of lilies filled the air, and the thing in the cave was once again mewling and growling, although its voice was now much more subdued. The lady stood, albeit with less grace, and walked towards the thing. She stopped just beyond its reach and looked into its eyeless face. I do not fear what awaits me, thing. At some point during the exchange, the storm had ceased, and a bright full moon was shining white light down upon them all. You have much to fear, however, in the quiet and desolation of the cave. She stepped forward, and as the thing reached towards her, her sister moved forward with supernatural haste and pierced her antler into its back. The thing howled, and her sister, with tears streaming from her eyes, spoke fiercely. You will never again leave the cave that has been your prison for all these years. We strip you now of your power to corrupt, of your power to destroy, and your ability to move. As she spoke, the white light seeped into the thing, causing it immense pain. You are nameless forever. You will be a forgotten thing, writhing in the misery of life without death. May your hate haunt you all your days, and when this earth is no more, may you disappear into dust beyond memory and time. Here the stags appeared once more, lacing the great net into their antlers and pulling the thing back towards the cave. It made no sound now and was completely limp as the antler glowed in its pierced flesh. It would hear, but could not speak, could not move. It was bound now by the very pain it had sought to inflict on Nippa. As the stags moved up the mountain, the lady felt a great peace come over her. As she fell once more to the earth, her vision swimming in and out. Her sister was there, holding her hand and whispering, Granny, Granny, are you here? Granny, what do I do? How can we stop it, Granny? Her panicked voice brought a tear to the lady's eye. The world began to glow much as it had in her dream, and she looked now to where the great stag stood without his antlers, and standing there beside him glowing with a soft, knowing smile was her grandmother. She's here, sister, the lady whispered. Her heart was slowing, the poison working quickly in tandem with the venom of the thing in the cave. She did not fear death. In fact, she would see him. Here she felt another hand slip into her own, a familiar one she had not held in nigh a year. She smiled. You're here, she whispered. Her husband, glowing in the sweater she had knitted him just before moving, smiled down to her. We're home. The lady was placed near the orchard, and her sister had fashioned a stone engraved with her name before placing the antler into the ground beside it. Her sister had not cried since that night, 
but had set about checking the wards for any sign of the thing in the cave. There had been no nightmares, and spring had seeped into the holler full of blooming daffodils, pastelled cherry blossoms, and great rows of forsythia. Her sister had taken to sitting on the porch in the rocking chair most days, looking up the mountain expectantly, but feeling nothing but the sun on her face. The people of Nippa hadn't asked what had happened to the lady. As terrible things befell people all the time during the kinds of storms they had had the night she passed. The mine was reopened in the spring, and fortune began to flood into the tiny holler. More homes were built, and there were many families who moved into the area. The lady's sister waited for months for the lady to visit her. She knew it could take time for a spirit to gather the energy and will to become a fully formed visage. She'd been sitting on the porch, watching the sunset, when she noticed a white glow coming from the dining room. When she had entered, she had seen the lady standing with her back to her, looking out the window. The tears came now at seeing her beloved sister once more, and the lady, sensing her sadness, turned and motioned her over. Her sister stepped forward and stood beside the corporeal form, the scent of apples hanging heavy in the air. Of course, you'd pick apples and starve me half to death when apple season is a good three months away yet. The lady smiled and her sister nodded. It suits you. She looked out the window and up the mountain in the same direction her sister had been looking. It ain't made a sound in these three months I've been here. I reckon it's truly bound up there, writing like it should. The lady turned and moved to the paneled wall of the dining room placing her hand on a panel closest to the center of the room. Her sister nodded. Yes, it was my poppets that gave you the ability to peer to me like this now. It gives you an anchor, should you wish to check in from time to time. The lady nodded, as if understanding her ability to do this when her grandmother could not. I've got myself one, too, when the day comes. It's not here in the dining room, though. I'll save that as a surprise. The lady looked into her sister's eyes and then looked around the room. Yes, I believe I'll stay right here from here on out. I was getting tired of Tennessee anyway. I've grown fond of the people in town as well, even if they are keen on wagging their tongues all day. The lady lifted her hand to her mouth as if to stifle a laugh. Her sister, grinning, said, Some things never change. And then seeing her sister's floating form said, And sometimes everything changes. One thing I know is, we'll keep watching this life and the next. Her sister nodded and began to fade. Her smile never faltered, and she said, Tell Granny, she best come around too, even if I can't see her. And with that, the lady faded away for now, leaving the mingled scent of lilies and apples in her wake. And life went on, in this world and the next. Well, hello there, creeps. Welcome back to the hills and hollers of eastern Kentucky. You've done it. You've faced the thing in the cave with me and the sisters. Now, I know it wasn't exactly the happiest of endings, but if you remember, this is a story of how the lady came to be the very helpful ghost I encountered at the house in Nippa. 
It felt really good to create a story for her when none was left to be told. Writing is magic like that. I'm so glad you're here to listen along, and I hope you'll stick around as I resume telling my story of living in a haunted house in eastern Kentucky. If you enjoy the show, please remember to like, and most importantly, subscribe, as that helps the podcast grow. I'm a one-woman show, so every like, share, and review makes my little fuzzy heart smile. It would also mean a lot if you would take the time to give me a rating on whatever streaming service you're using to help bring new listeners to the pod. You can also find This House is Haunted podcast on Facebook and Instagram for updates and photos. Until we meet again, keep it creepy, and don't go chasing any voices you hear in the night.